3: Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh?
2: A Redwood Forest would be cool. Ski slopes!
3: Wait! Did we just invent California?
1: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at
2: visitcalifornia.com.
4: Hello and welcome to the MMQB NFL Podcast. I'm Gary Gramling, And I'm Connor Orr. Connor. we have Super Bowl participants, we have head coaches in new places, we have Tom Brady, uh, maybe retired, probably retiring, we'll get probably to retiring. all that, yeah, yeah, uh, but we are gonna start with the Sunday Conference champ- Championship Games, and, uh, let's, uh, let's start out in L.A. here, with the, the Rams-49ers game, and, uh, the ending was... I don't know. Perfect isn't the word, but uh, it was a day where the Rams pass rush wasn't really there. Also, maybe didn't really have a chance to get there because they just weren't on the field that much. But uh, they really just took over the last two possessions. And they also took over because of things that Raheem Morris was doing out there.
0: Okay, so uh, let's go back to the Cardinals game and they beat the Cardinals in the first round of the playoffs. In that, the blitz that he designed for the Kyler Murray pick six, he had Aaron Donald as sort of a decoy, so he had, like, three offensive linemen just not blocking anybody worried about Aaron Donald. He had a defensive tackle taking up two spaces, and then he had his blitzer and Von Miller both singled up. Brilliant. Uh, and then tonight, uh, against Jimmy Garoppolo, key play of the game, both Aaron Donald and Von Miller singled up, and his he, he had a late blitzer. There that drew uh, two 49ers blockers. How does that happen? I I don't know how that continually happens, but if you're the offensive lineman, I understand you have like emergency rules for blitzers where you're like, okay inside guy or whatever. But how does that keep happening? I don't know. Like these are just (laughs) like the two guys. Like if you walked into like the 49ers room, it would be like, just don't let these two guys in the backfield. Here's Mm -hmm. the two. And and you did that.
4: But that was it, man. And, and that's why I kind of uh, said perfect and then walked it back because uh, I just don't have a very wide vocabulary. But uh, <laughs> you had those two guys and Leonard Floyd were just all in Jimmy Garoppolo's face on that final play. And uh, that's how this one ended. And yeah, it was... It was a weird game. It really was such a, such a strange game because uh, if the 49ers were going to win this game, it was kind of like, okay, well, you know, it's it's going to be like uh, that Monday night game in, in Santa Clara earlier this year. You know, they're they're going to be more physical. It's going to be a big Eli Mitchell game, a big Debo Samuel game. It was a big Debo Samuel game, but, but a consistent big Debo Samuel game. And uh, really outside of that third quarter touchdown drive, There just wasn't a whole lot of sustained offense here for the 49ers. And yet, because the Rams kept on moving into scoring, uh, basically scoring range and coming away empty, this ended up being a game that the 49ers led late and were probably a dropped interception away from from winning.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard hard to put this... Well, let's back up. I think that we saw tonight um, why everybody copies... Kyle Shanahan's scheme why mm-hmm. everybody wants to run the team essentially like the 49ers are running their team and you know kind of copying the organizational alignment and all that stuff. And I think we also saw and this is not an indictment of Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he is he's Jimmy Garoppolo, right? And you know what you're going to get with him. But I think we also saw the reason why Kyle Shanahan eventually wants to pivot to a mobile quarterback, you know, a guy that can pick up stuff with his legs. And I just think that there were just so many occasions where I think just even a slice of that, like even Mahomes, who's not like the fastest guy, even someone to give you that, I think would have diversified the game plan a lot. But especially a guy who could do zone read consistently, but also like throw the ball and, and be active in the pocket, too, I I think once Lance is caught up, I mean, the 49ers are going to really start torching people, but I think we saw that. Like, you know, this is still a good team. It's a really well-coached team. You know, I think they he, they were taken to their limits this year. Like, the 49ers overachieved, I think, in a lot of in a lot of respects. And so, you know, I don't know what you really get upset about. I mean, are you really going to, you know, be all frustrated about a a, a Jaquiski tart dropped interception, you know? I mean, that's kind of a break a break of the game, you know?
4: It's uh, the one Shanahan decision that is coming under some level of criticism. I guess was the the punt on fourth and two uh, in the fourth quarter that sort of preceded the the tart dropped interception. And uh, you know I think this does come back to Jimmy Garoppolo. And and when when I say this, if you isolate the clip, it sounds like criticism of Jimmy Garoppolo. It's not. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is not a quarterback who you can trust in the same way that Brandon Staley would trust a Justin Herbert or Zach Taylor would trust a Joe Burrow or, or Andy Reid would trust a, uh, a Patrick Mahomes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that is your quarterback. It's a highly schemed offense. The way you are going to convert that first down is by some sort of, you know, schematic uh, advantage. And I thought Shanahan threw his best punch on third down. They, they ran that tendency breaker, uh, you know, that Trent Williams motion uh, to, Mm -hmm. to the right side of the formation where he just, um, you know, he, he basically uh, destroys the entire right side of the world and you run in behind it and you get uh, eight yards or whatever. And, you know, they, they, they knew everyone knew about that. They figured the Rams would, uh, would overreact to the Williams motion. They didn't, they stayed home. They, they made the play and you know, we, we kind of lose track when we sort of say, okay, well, what is, what is the, what do the numbers say? What do the analytics say in this situation? If you don't have the play and you don't have the quarterback who you can just sort of say, okay, well, I'll put the ball in his hands and he'll, he'll do it. He'll make the play. Uh, You really, it's maybe not a great uh, uh, chance to, to go for it at that point. I I didn't mind the punt at all.
0: No, I didn't either. And, you know what I love though? Uh Trent Williams uh if you watch that play in slow motion, so it's not just it's not just a typical like motion or like jet motion, right? If you watch all <laughs> yeah. the 40 if you watch all the 49ers players, all their tight ends especially when it's a running play like that, they they arc their motion in order to get uh, a little extra velocity going at the line of scrimmage and it's so cool like they just kill people with that um <laughs> and it's just it's super awesome and I I just love it and I think that'll be like watch next year every single team in the NFL is going to be teaching that this offseason. they're all going to run that that sort of arced uh motion to sort of get them more uh leverage at the line of scrimmage but um yeah I and I Not that I saw this, but I can anticipate the complaint that, like, well, why wouldn't you have just stuck Trey Lance out there and run zone read because you could have picked up the first down? I mean, Trey Lance was really not that great in short yard critical short yard situations during his starts this year. So, like, if you're Kyle Shanahan, you run the best rushing offense in the league, and like you said, you're sitting there, your pockets are dry, and you're saying, boy, I don't know. I mean, you know, what else can we do here? Just punt the ball. I mean, you know... Dude, like assume that you're just playing clock control football at this point. You know, I I, I I see no problem with that.
4: And it's not it's not like the Rams at any point really uh, just took off on them. And, you know, it's amazing. I'm looking at the box score now and, and it's like, wow, Matthew Stafford threw for 337. Uh, that felt like a real like C minus performance from him in this game. And uh, I guess that says something about our expectations of him and and how well he played this season when things are going well for the Rams. But uh, yeah, I you know, again, it it just the entire game felt like such a slog. And the 49ers pass rush was winning uh at the line of scrimmage against the Rams offensive line for basically the third time this season. You'd you just expect you can get a a stop at some point in the fourth quarter. And they didn't.
0: Yeah, really strange. Um, And I would say, I mean, maybe more so than the fourth down call. I mean, the delay of game penalty, I thought, was the biggest was the backbreaker in that. Yeah, really. I mean, you push you push Jimmy Garoppolo into first and 15 or was it? I think it was first and 15 first down. You push them back to first and 15 situation you're removing all sensible run calls from the playbook right there. And then mm-hmm. that's when you can start pinning your ears back. That's when you can activate the full force of the pass rush. And that's really what they were looking for. It was just an invitation because what the 49ers do do well is they just condense possessions right they make second down more attainable they make third down more attainable for themselves you know and they're just not you know they're not worried about getting it all in one in one fell swoop and so I I think it was you know I think that was the ultimate kind of backbreaker for them and I'm actually like you know that's what surprises me more than anything right is you have the coach you have the quarterback you know uh, it was sort of a neutral field even though, like, like the Rams were running silent count more than the 49ers were. yeah. And so it's like, get get the ball off, you know? I, that that one really kind of blew me away.
4: It was, and that was a second down, so that pushed him back second to second and yeah. 15, which uh, uh, w- was pretty devastating. But, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right, because, look, <laughs> you saw a couple of Debo Samuel runs where it was kind of like, ah, oh, this isn't going anywhere. Like, oh, okay, you broke a tackle, and now it's a six-yard gain, and now you're in third and four. Um, and that sort of goes out the window at that point. And, uh, yeah, they... I mean look they they didn't go anywhere on their on their last two possessions so you know that's uh that's the way it goes I think it is Trey Lance time uh next season and uh I think Jimmy Garoppolo is still a starter somewhere in the league and I look I think they can get a I don't know what what, what do you think I, I was thinking like a, they could get like a fourth rounder for him
0: I think it'll be the uh the very sexy and very trendy like conditional fourth yeah or like conditional well what's the you can't make it i think third round is the earliest round you can make it conditional right oh is that true i didn't know that oh no that's not true the carson wentz trade was a conditional first yeah two to one yep there's some sort of rule with conditional picks that i looked up um something i don't know uh (laughs) Well, some <laughs> angry person that has the rule book open email the show at the mmqb <laughs> at gmail.com
4: even better if the... you can if you can send the email back in time to uh, Sunday night so that we can correct this all <laughs> but
0: before I started before I started <laughs> opening my mouth um yeah yeah, I mean, you know maybe like a, maybe like a third and a fifth, right?
4: I thought there like was a, a point. like a
0: third this year and then like a fifth next year.
4: I thought there was a point in December where you could you could argue you could get maybe a two for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's sort of thought. It was just it was too rocky a postseason, and I, I hate to you know emphasize the the three game sample size, but uh, you know if if you if you're bringing a quarterback, you want a guy you can trust in a playoff game, and uh, I don't think Kyle Shanahan ever completely got there. Uh, you know, and and again, we're talking when we say trust and we're we're talking in the way that like you know you trust a star quarterback in this league, and Garoppolo is just not there he's he's a pure system guy and and he fits that system well,
0: yeah, no, I agree um also randomly in the Jimmy Garoppolo file, just from my notes, uh, there was like that something happened there was like a penalty called, and uh. <laughs> Aaron Donald came up with the football and he just like walked right up to Jimmy like nobody mentioned this they didn't spotlight it on the broadcast but he just walks right up to Jimmy Garoppolo and kind of goes like he's gonna hand it to him and then just throws it on the ground and then yeah Jimmy Garoppolo just like put his hands up like what's yep. that you dick you know I, and it I was saw that yep really funny and I just really uh, I really enjoyed that nobody uh, no respect for Jimmy Garoppolo and I- the horrendous timing of the Fox broadcast, where I think they put like uh, Debo Samuel's Jimmy Garoppolo tweet on the screen, like right before he made some sort of horrendous, uh, yeah, boneheaded
4: play. Right, kind of. Well, it kind of led him into that Nick Scott hit, which. Oh, that's uh, right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. P- which people get on him for, but also that's that's kind of the offense. If you throw that many in breaking routes, yeah, you throw a lot of inbreakers. It, it's yeah. gonna it's gonna happen. Uh, everything's between the numbers there. It's it that's that's a risk you run, uh, constantly, no matter how, no matter who your quarterback is, but man, Nick Scott, (laughs) Nick Scott laid him out, uh, perfectly legal hit. Uh, that was, uh, that was nicely done. And Debo obviously, uh, was, was no worse for the wear. So, yeah. Um,
0: unlike the Jimmy Ward, a hit, which was terrible and, uh, not good and, this is like the third time he's done that this year, by the way. I think I remember a Devontae Adams one earlier in the season that was uh, that was pretty yep. gross during a primetime game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, it's just stuff you can't do, you know? You can't get delay of game penalties. You can't whack a guy in helmet to helmet. And helmet to helmet, I understand. Uh, and I've tried to be more, way more understanding of, because even though we are the Monday morning quarterback, like... uh I'm not going to speak for you, Gary, athletically. You've got, you've had some very successful backyard or, uh, uh, three on three basketball teams, uh, work basketball Mm -hmm. teams. What, what would you call what you, uh, Uh, it's it's rec league. I mean, it's five on five. Five five.
4: You've insulted me already. Uh, it's, it's real (laughs) basketball. It's not that three on three crap, but yeah,
0: the commissioner of your league is an ice cube (laughs) and Amy Trask. Um, so, oh, I'm not going to insult you athletically. Uh, I, I, I've I've heard great things about your guard play and your ability to set the chessboard. Um, but, you know, I don't want this podcast to be, you know, two guys in their 30s being like, oh, this is a, this was a terrible thing. And I understand I understand the bang bang nature of helmet to helmet. But that was that was egregious. That was bad. That was you wanting to yes. inflict damage and just kind of losing your cool for a second.
4: Yep. I, uh, I thought it was ejection worthy. I'm not not gonna, you know, it's always kind of a bummer when you eject a guy in the fourth quarter of a, of a tie playoff game. But, uh, that was, I think that rose to that level and in a regular season game, it probably would be, but, uh, yeah, there, there you go. Rams are Rams are going to the Super Bowl. They won this game. Uh, I thought it was kind of a, a, a again, sort of a, a C plus game here, C minus game here for uh, Matthew Stafford, uh, but they they survive it anyway and uh, and get through and get to play at home
0: in two weeks. Yeah. They just get to walk right into this Bengal buzz saw.
1: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge.
4: Boy, so uh, you and I—we talked about this last week on the midweek show. It was just—it was difficult to find a path to victory for this Bengals team in Kansas City, even though they already beat them. Uh, you know, when they beat them the first time, they got two—you know, seventy-something-yard touchdowns from Jamar Chase. Uh, you know, the, the chances of that happening again just were were very low, and and they didn't happen. Uh, I don't know, like at the end of the first half as the Chiefs were were as you know, we thought in range to put more points on the board and basically go in with a commanding lead uh, at halftime, which they had anyway at uh, at 21 to 10. It just looked like it might be ugly. And all of a sudden the Bengals just end up hanging around. And I thought it was look, I thought it was Lou Anarumo's defense who who did most of the lifting here.
0: Yeah, and really kind of su- some surprising adjustments there because at the beginning of the game, I, it was really interesting to see how many really easy throws and I guess running, running lanes that Patrick Mahomes had, it seemed like mm-hmm. they were really scared at the beginning, and scared's probably not the right word. They were uh, trying to prevent that back-breaking <laughs> yes. touchdown. Like, you know, <laughs> they're not scared. They're just trying to not make it happen. You know, yes. uh, they're, doing, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They want to prevent that back-breaking touchdown. And so I thought it was interesting to see how they were just giving – like there there was a lot of uncovered backs out of the backfield um, at the beginning of that game. Mahomes had a lot of running lanes, and so it was just kind of like, here, you know, yeah, let Tyreek Hill take the five-yard stop. Like, go ahead. You can have that. But the problem is like that that can really snowball quickly if you're the Chiefs offense because they know then how to transform that little bit of momentum into a quick game, and then they just kind of keep rolling on you like that. But um, I was shocked at the way that as they came back, they just tightened and tightened and tightened, and their lateral tackling, their lateral coverage ability when the Chiefs tried to start expanding them to the sidelines was fantastic. I mean – The Tyreek Hill fourth down uh, attempt, which was one of the two plays that I think absolutely changed the tenor of this game for the Bengals was was fantastic. Uh, It was also a bad play call, I think, um, because he didn't have any blockers out there. Um, But that said, like to tackle him in that moment, if you're Eli Apple is hard, it's not it's like one of the hardest things to do.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And look, uh, on that play, uh, look, you want to put Tyreek Hill in motion. And and okay, if if there are still dudes on that side of the field, uh, he is no longer an option for you for Patrick Mahomes. So that's an issue there. You know, you got to look away from him. And if no one else is open, you got to fire it into the stands and and go take your three points. But uh, the way they were able to and I look, we'll have to see all 22 because I don't know exactly what was going on downfield on some of these plays where Mahomes was extending plays behind the line of scrimmage. You know, there were some three-man rush uh, approaches to him, but there were plays where Mahomes was doing his thing where he's running in circles behind the line of scrimmage and just no one ever came open. And he ends up, you know, he ended up taking a couple of coverage sacks. Uh, he ended up throwing the ball away a couple of times, but uh, they were not giving anything at that point. And, uh, you know, Like, Tony Tony Romo said it during the first half when the Chiefs just kept on taking these just, you know, eight yard plays again and again and again and again. And he was kind of like, this is this is going to be unstoppable. And it felt that way. And, And in the end, the Bengals found a way to stop it. They shut them down in the second half. They gave up the field goal at the end of regulation. And that was it.
0: Yeah. So Mahomes in the pocket was interesting. So it was that it was that Kelsey touchdown, the Travis Kelsey touchdown, the third and two. Um, mm-hmm. And and that was the first time I saw it where he was like, just sort of like, almost look like a Madden figure, like, you know, just sort of like, still perfectly upright and, and erect, but like weirdly shuffling in the pocket and, uh, and just like almost In a perfect quarterback stance, but just facing the wrong end of the field, you know? And, like, it was a really weird thing where he kept, like, just circumnavigating that way. But I think sometimes in a game like that, if you can get away with it once and then you throw a touchdown, it just becomes your modus operandi. Like, it becomes your comfort zone. And we saw him do that again and again and again. But then later in the game, it actually stopped, you know, it stopped working, right? Nobody came open. There was no second-chance throws. Bengals coverage was excellent on you know kind of these you know street ball throws that they're so good at the second third fourth chance emergency routes um and they shut him down they kind of like lured him into a false sense of security probably incidentally because I I doubt the game plan was to allow them to go up 21 to 3 and then (laughs) and then come back at the end
4: as far as the chief's are concerned look we we wondered all season uh would this offensive line be able to protect patrick mahomes in the end would we see another uh you know would would they go out the same way they went out in the super bowl last year where uh some of their really good pass just overwhelmed them and that was it and that's that's not what happened i thought their offensive line did a decent job in this game uh i mean what it, mahomes took four sacks i think 3 of them were just pure coverage sacks yep. so uh they Held up. It was just I and you know it almost had a feel of like what was going on with the Chiefs midseason during their slump. Where okay, you know the offensive line isn't quite the biggest issue. They just seem uncomfortable with what they're doing uh, out there as far as uh, Mahomes and, and his receivers go. And uh, that I I I don't know. I th- that is kind of just how it played out. And uh, you know, uh, Luana Rumo had one unfortunate call on a third and one from uh, uh, from midfield, where Kelsey, you know, reminiscent of, of last week, uh, just sort of got loose up the seam there, and they gave a big conversion there that put the Chiefs in scoring range. But that was like it, and it was kind of like they, you know they moved inside the ten, and it was kind of like all right, well this is this is going to be a touchdown, and but no, and it and it really wasn't close to being a touchdown at any point.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. You wonder Patrick Mahomes put the game on his shoulders after and he said, you know, you can't be up that much and lose and that's on me. And again, I mean, I hate to you know, I ate like half a tub of hummus during this game, so it's like Patrick Mahomes and I are leading different lives. You know, I'm not <laughs> I'm not in the pocket there being able to make these decisions. But it looked like the whole game he just looked a little off, you know? Uh even in the good moments, like the the Nicole Hardman touchdown um that's a throw that needs to be on the other side of him. Like you don't want that to be out in front of him because somebody can jump that and and pick that off. And the Tyree kill play that we were just talking about, like if you just, if you turn around and you run the other way, like everybody is, is, flooding with that play there was nobody um on the back side of that and and you could have just run it in for a touchdown again it's really easy for me to say that you know um so I don't know what's going on you know in his world you know obviously I would have ran it in. I would have you know yeah I I, I would have the Chiefs in the Super Bowl right now but um you know that's the difference between Patrick Mahomes and I
4: I would. I, I'm a five on five basketball participant, so obviously I have the athletic chops <laughs> to get that done. I, but uh,
0: I can't believe how like I slighted you so badly, and I'm like uh, unintentionally, <laughs> but like I, I can feel I can feel the anger on this, and I feel so so bad about it already. It's going to be a,
4: such a shouting match immediately after the show, <laughs> just a dressing down. How dare you call me a three-on-three player?
0: We're gonna break uh, up like Sting and the Police. <laughs> it's gonna get violent. The,
4: we can sort of spin this forward a little bit with the uh, you know the Bengals. Uh, not the same protection issues they had against the Titans last week, but still uh, that right side of the line is completely overwhelmed, no matter who is across from them. Uh, You did see Joe Burrow escape a couple times. It is sort of a classic Burrow managing the free rushers type of thing. I mean, he shrugged Chris Jones off on that one play. That was just uh, fairly insane, kind of reminiscent of the Josh Allen fourth down conversions last week. But uh, when you think about this line, going against that Rams front four uh, where, you know, it's, it's going to be, I mean, Raheem Morris will undoubtedly line up Aaron Donald and Von Miller on the same side of the line. And uh, you're going to have to figure something out here for the Bengals. And they have not really changed their MO to this point. There there's, you know, they're, they're still just a spread you out. Uh, You know, Burrow is, is doing the thing like a 36 year old quarterback uh, and, That's how they're going to try and beat you. And it just seems like (laughs) there's a chance this is just a really bad matchup for them.
0: We keep saying it, and then, you know, I don't know what happens. Uh, One thing that I will say that was interesting that Zach Taylor was trying to do, and Romo was on them throughout the broadcast. And so, again, I mean, he is an NFL quarterback. He probably sees this a lot differently than I do. But they are saying, why do they keep trying to run the ball? And I was like, because... Like the plan should have worked like the way, like what they were trying to do was smart. They would put like, they were trying to establish Jamar chase as a runner. Then you would put him in the backfield and then you would spread him out. And when you did that, you were like getting chiefs players to follow him out of the box. You were lightening the box. And then that makes total sense. You have Joe Mixon and you plow it forward and you pick up easy yards and like even if it wasn't working early, I would have stuck with it if I was getting those numbers because I, I would be interested to see his eight man box percentage for that game. Um, but you know, I would have taken that ten times out of ten. And I think I think you could probably manipulate something similar against the Rams where like, you know, you'd be able to get mix and go in there. But I don't know. I, I um like we just keep saying that these are gonna be bad matchups for the Bengals and and their defense <laughs> played awesome. I mean mm-hmm. It was their defense, and it was, like, a great play from, like, Samaje Pirine, you know? And then yeah. and that was it. Like, you know, and then they somehow won the game. I, I still don't know
4: how it happened exactly. We should have done the midweek show on Samaje Pirine in the screen game and B.J. Hill uh, ball skills. And... Dude, that was
0: – and, I mean, I, I get that that's the side that you're blocked up on, and so you mm-hmm. have the blockers, but that was kind of like a like a dual screen concept and the tight end on the other side was wide open like if you were if you were looking to just pick up chunk yards to get a field goal that's probably where you know probably might have been where you've gone with the football but uh you know kudos to burrow for having faith in him and then p just like nobody's gonna talk about that play like three weeks from now but holy shit that was like an amazing play like broke a tackle wedged his way through some defenders there's some great downfield blocking on that scheme which you know and that's that's your bad side of the offensive line too so that that whole thing <laughs> was really surprising
4: it's your bad side of the offensive line it's your your running back who is just so uh tremendously unreliable in the passing game. <laughs> like later <laughs> in the game he ran the wrong way uh on the one screen and then he had a, you know he had the deflected ball that turned into an interception last week. And then uh he he had another play this week where it's like he got out on the perimeter uh against a cornerback and just got completely like stood up in stone is like, oh man, like you gotta if you're Samaj P. Ryan and you got fresh legs and you're two hundred and twenty pounds, like, you gotta <laughs> you got to at least fall forward here against this this defensive back. But uh, that was right before they kicked the uh, Evan McPherson 52-yarder, and I guess it worked out in the end, and Evan McPherson will just never miss a kick again.
0: Yeah, good for uh, Evan McPherson. I think they said, what, he's already made like $600,000 in incentives or something throughout the playoffs, (laughs) which is pretty amazing. Odell Beckham, I think they said, made like $700,000 already in, in incentives during the playoffs, so similar to the similar to us and kind of how we're how we're rolling along here um but yeah i mean you just don't know i mean i wrote this for the for the site it's like i've never i in my lifetime and i guess like i've been aware of football like i mean i've been covering football for 12 years i've been like a die-hard professional football fan since like probably like 2002 uh you have a, a little bit longer of a uh lifespan there but i don't remember like a team like the Bengals making the Super Bowl. Like, a complete, like, I guess you could say the nine and seven Giants year where they backed their way into the playoffs and then, and they made the Super Bowl. But, like, you have Tom Coughlin as your coach. You were, like, two years removed from, like, another Super Bowl. Like, you won the Super Bowl, like, two years before that. You yeah. Had, like, Justin Tuck and Nocio Manura and Jason Pierre. Like, you had dominant Pro Bowl players. And the Bengals do too. But, like, I don't remember a run quite like this.
4: No, I mean, you could say that Falcons team that uh, lost to Elway, uh, I mean, that's that's going back to the 90s, uh, that the the Kerry Collins Giants, it's mm. it's been a while. We're probably forgetting someone super obvious, but uh, uh, it feels like it's been a while since we've seen a run like this. And uh, I think it's just a product of the two of us being far too confident in our uh, assessments and our predictions in these games. (laughs) It's so bad. Like,
0: so I, I predicted the Bengals to win three games this year, and then the Bengals made the playoffs. And our uh, editor, our colleague, Mitch Goldish, uh, uh, picked them to go to the Super Bowl. And then I blasted him on this podcast. We did Twitter Spaces, and I blasted him on Twitter Spaces. And I was like, You're treating this team like they're the goddamn Rams, like from 2000. And lo and behold, like <laughs> they're playing like amazing football right now. And like they're just, you know. They're playing, they're playing really for Mitch. They're playing they're play- for Mitch. Is what they're playing going on. for Mitch. But I love the idea that like every Super Bowl that I've covered, the coach has has bent himself backwards to sort of perpetuate this narrative that like nobody has believed in us when like almost everybody believed in you because you're good enough to win the Super Bowl. Nobody believed in the Bengals, and like Zach Taylor will be able to look around and be like nobody. Except for Good Morning Football, because they say nice things about every team. Here's the secret, mm-hmm. and then they clip it all on Instagram so they can bring it back up later in the season when something good happens. That's the strategy, you know. You and I don't do that.
3: Uh, <laughs> we,
0: we we rip everyone. We just we just say <laughs> shitty things about everybody. Yeah, and then I just don't even want a Super Bowl this year. What do you think? Stupid, um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean nobody believed in the Bengals. I think someone tweeted the Texans had more sports book Super Bowl picks this year than the Bengals. Like yeah. they both they both had the worst odds, two hundred to one. And more people thought that the Jack Easterby led Houston Texans were going to win the Super Bowl. Well,
4: Incredible. They got- they got the culture there, so uh, Possibly we'll see Josh how McCown. that goes. And I I don't know if we'll get to the, this show. We will talk some Josh McCown at uh, at some point, I imagine, because I think they're going to hire him. Uh, but before we get to the coaches and before we get to a little bit of Tom Brady talk, uh, the still active Tom Brady, uh, what's your I, – I, I already made my just uh, snap decision – Bad Super Bowl pick. Uh, I already picked 28-21 Rams, so I'll just I'll stay with that on the record. I, uh, I, I'm i just done with field goals. No more field goals this year. Uh, no more Evan McPherson. Just just all touchdowns. 28-21 Rams is my pick. So in,
0: in an homage to our former colleague, Andy Benoit, who uh, works for the Rams now and uh, is a couple is 60 minutes away from a Super Bowl ring, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool to say. <laughs> Congratulations, Andy. First of all, I remember sitting next to Andy at the Rams Patriots Super Bowl and I had NFL Game Pass. I had the <laughs> European version of NFL Game Pass. And so Andy was sitting next to me and he was blown away that I could uh watch the game in real time, pause it and then put the plays in slow motion. And so it was awesome because Andy knows a lot about football, obviously. And uh he would walk me through everything, but he needed to see it for himself too. He mm-hmm. needed to see the slow mo, and so and he was like, "This is the greatest thing! This is the greatest thing ever!" And I don't know why I remember that, but that was a fun, uh, that was a fun memory um, for uh, from that night. Now he's going to win a Super Bowl. But Andy and I used to argue a lot. I don't actually believe this, but I used to just tell him that football was rigged. And like was uh, (laughs) uh, like the the commissioner was was just creating everything like World Wrestling Mm -hmm. Federation. And he got really angry at me all the time for saying that. So in an homage to Andy, uh, here's the conspiracy theory stuff. Right. Um, uh, The Bengals winning the Super Bowl or going to the Super Bowl is obviously highlighting the NFL's connection to their sports books and their gambling because what they want is they want more of us to believe that this can happen to increase the amount of bets that long shots will get at the beginning of the season. So, the Bengals will win the Super Bowl. Uh, they're going to win it uh, 26, field goal. 26-24. Uh, that's, that's what it's going to be. 26-24. Two missed PATs. Or they get to 17 well yeah they get to 14 and they just kick kick a shit ton of field goals <laughs> it could be a real McPherson game you know <laughs> the Rams just buckle down inside the 50
4: oh Andy Benoit loses a rigged Super Bowl what a They're world all it would be it comes full circle there's no
1: distance
0: too far for the perfect trip
1: hi checking in for or the perfect table
2: hey where are you
4: All right, let's uh, let's talk Tom Brady here, who uh, he's very likely retiring. Uh, he's not definitely retiring. He's very likely retiring, though. I, I That's how we'll phrase it for the purpose of the show. That'll be the disclaimer. Uh, we are not reporting it. It's just it's very likely to happen at this point. And uh, I guess we'll take a quick look ahead. Uh, I mean, I I don't know about you, Connor, I, I, I don't really need to discuss Tom Brady's legacy further. He's, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. And uh, that's, that's that, but this Bucks team is kind of a little bit in shambles uh, now that he is leaving, not completely unlike they were before he got there.
0: Yeah. I was thinking a lot about Jason light. um, And, you know, before Tom Brady came, you were the guy who drafted Jameis Winston and Roberto Aguayo. And Mm -hmm. uh, you were like, perpetually on the hot seat where like every year everyone was like, they're not going to move on at GM. And like, then you won a Super Bowl and presumably bought yourself a whole boatload of time. But like you still have to do the thing that you haven't done yet, which is identify and develop a quarterback that can make this like a long-term solution. So I think it's going to be a really interesting challenge for him. Uh, I'm fascinated to see how he does it. I'm fascinated to see how, Todd Bowles, who at the beginning of the season, if you talk to people and you were saying, well, he's a shoe in for head coaching job, everyone's saying, I don't know, man. He's the highest paid defensive coordinator in the league. He can take over and Bruce Arians leaves. You know, uh, life is good for him right now. Um, I don't know if that changes his mind on everything. I don't know if that changes Bruce Arians' mind on everything. Like, does Bruce Arians want to hang around that long without Tom Brady? I don't know. They're not going to be able to draw another massive free agent in there unless – Like the only thing I can think of is like, you know, do you get a Garoppolo since the offense is already set up for it and you try to run it that way? You know, if if there's like a Josh McDaniels Garoppolo reunion in Las Vegas, do you somehow get Derek Carr down there and try to run it back? Like I I, it's not possible. I just don't think that you're getting like the star power down there is just going to depart. And I think everything's going to kind of fall apart.
4: It's. Uh, I mean, it's that they, they have a ton of free agents too, and, and you kind of said it. They're not getting. <laughs> they're paying retail prices for players again, unlike this past off season where, uh, you know, Chris Godwin agrees to play in a franchise tag, which uh, that's, that's a bummer uh, considering what happened to his ACL. Uh, you know, Shaq Barrett signs uh, relatively under contract. I mean, they never put add Rob Kronkowski uh, who just gave them two all pro caliber seasons uh, if Tom Brady was not there. So they're going to have to figure out a way to roster build in a traditional sort of non cheat code type of way uh and i will say this looking at the nfc south and and we're we're still in january here but looking at the nfc south for this upcoming season i think five wins might win it if you can get <laughs> to five and 12 you, you might take that division uh is that mathematically possible <laughs> how many times do they play each other someone someone do that math for me but uh the Saints are now without Sean Payton and and have their own questions of quarterback. We'll see what happens there. Uh, the, I mean, it's, is Matt Rule going to win this division after all? The Falcons are. I mean, the Falcons were terrible last year. I don't know how they won seven games. It's just it's it's shaping up to be four really bad teams.
0: I'm really excited for the Falcons to play. 17 boring, shitty games next year and go nine and eight and force scary to say nice things about them on the podcast because they will have won the division
4: by three or four games. So I won't and I will complain so much about the playoff format. I mean, that'll be what your Trubisky Bears, you, you know, whatever seven seed you hated. Uh, you know, the Steelers this year, uh, it's going to be worse than that if one of these teams go to the playoffs and one of these teams have to go to the playoffs uh, unless the Panthers end up landing uh, some. You know, if Russell Wilson goes down there or something, uh, boy, it is just going to be a nasty, nasty division in all the wrong ways. But
0: I will say it's opportunistic, though. Right. Like if you are Russell Wilson or if you are some veteran quarterback who becomes dislodged from your franchise in some way, shape or form. You have to sense that as an opportunity, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like the saints defense is still going to be good. And maybe Dennis Allen ends up coaching them and and everything ends up being fine. But boy, like you're going to have Christian McCaffrey, you know, uh, you still have, you know, uh, Phil snow uh, as your DC who had a really good start to the year last year. He's kind of running that three, three, five stuff that people aren't really well equipped to handle get Christian McCaffrey back like you could demolish that division theoretically yeah I don't know unless Matt (laughs) Rule takes the Michigan job
4: (laughs) (laughs) oh everybody wants Matt Rule all right let's uh let's talk coaching hires here. Uh we'll start with the most recent one. That was Josh McDaniels uh to the Raiders here. Uh the Rich Basaccia dream is dead. Uh and it's just kind of a bummer, but logically just going by the 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 cold what is it? Cold hard light of day. Uh yeah, Josh McDaniels is probably a, a better head coach option than Rich Basaccia.
0: I guess. I mean, you know, I think out of all the Patriots assistants, this is probably the safest bet, but didn't we say that about Matt Patricia three years ago? You know, didn't we say that about, you know, it, it's just, it blows my mind that, and they're like, well, it's different now because he gets this person and he's going to bring that person with him. The gold standard of Belichick assistance is Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien is the best thing that has come from that coaching tree. And it's been like 11 guys. Now it there's a sample size. I know you hate small sample sizes. This is a big (laughs) sample size. These guys are not coaching. You know, like they all leave and then they get mad because they figured out that they can't do it the same way. Now I will say this. I heard, you know, when I was doing due diligence on McDaniels, Um, for my coaching list, you know, it really did seem like he was interested in building something that was not like a Belichickian clone. Like, you know, I think he has Mm -hmm. some ideas out there. Like he's going to like, you, you can't really like as hard as it is to say this, like you can't really consider him like a traditional Patriots assistant that gets hot for three years and then moves on. It's like, I think he knows what he wants to do. Um, I think he knows how he wants to make this work. Um, And so, yeah, you give them the benefit of the doubt there. You see what happens. Uh things could get interesting, but I don't know, man. Like there's just so many good coaches out there and uh who knows? I don't know. And it's an interesting deal move for McDaniels too, right? Cuz you you know this is your last shot. And yep. you go into a division with Mahomes, Justin Herbert, um possibly Aaron Rodgers, you know. Uh you know, that that's an interesting call, you know.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think you can take some solace in the fact that as a retread, uh, he's a guy who's seen the other side of it. He knows what's, you know, definitively not going to work. He's not going to make the same mistakes that he made the, the first time around, uh, and I don't know, just uh, look, when, when you step back, it's like, OK, well, who do you want running your offense? You know, Greg Olson or or Josh McDaniels? No offense to Greg Olson, but you probably want Josh McDaniels at that point, uh, even if he and, and look, he, he did. He, he wanted to hire Matt Eberflus. He did hire Matt Eberflus in Indianapolis. Uh, he did also want to bring Jack Easterby with him. So you can you can take that for what it's worth uh, at that point. But, um, you know, it, it just seems like a guy who has uh he figured out how he screwed it up the first time, and it's just unlikely it's going to screw up in that same way again. And it probably is a Raiders team that look they're not gonna they're not gonna be better than the Chiefs, but you know can they can they hang around? Can they win 10, 11 games every year and and be in the postseason and try and go on a Bengals like run? Sure, yeah,
0: why not? I think so. I mean, it's set up nice. You know, Derek Carr makes nothing. Uh, yeah, you know comparatively, you know, and until you have to pay him serious quarterback money, he's the best bargain in football. I would I would argue in in terms of that. I mean, outside of guys that are on their rookie contract and stuff like that, but so I I mean it's set up nice, and uh, and and Nevada is a nice place to live. I've heard really nice things about Henderson, you know, the suburb. Yeah, I had yeah. a former colleague there who said I look I look to my left in my pool and I see mountains, and my right and I see the Vegas Strip, and so every night is just a good night. Nice. Yeah.
4: It's a that's a nice uh, uh, little, little uh, uh, tourism
0: slogan. little visual. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable! When
1: you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com/slash-with-amex.
2: From BBC Radio Four, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my god, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny, USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
4: Brian Dable to the Giants and. We we like Brian Dable here. We are Brian Dable fans uh, based on (laughs) based on his overwhelming success in (laughs) Buffalo. But I was most excited by reports that Brian Dable is a big Daniel Jones fan because uh, he gets it like he he understands. He understands the quarterback is there. Uh, It is time for the coaches to carry their load uh, as far as this uh, this team goes.
0: It'll be interesting to see how he fills out the staff, and I think that he's a super engaging guy. I think he'll be able to command a room, no doubt, but he is so devastating in the booth as a play caller like a yeah. matchup recognition play caller and you know that's always the one thing that I always wonder because he is so good at noticing those little things so I put this guy here and this guy there and then this is how this is going to this how this is how this play is going to work like he can just pick apart defenses and that's what creates a lot of this stuff for Josh Allen these open throws uh you know when they got Stefan Diggs two years ago I I was like nobody draft this guy in fantasy. Everyone's just going to double him. Like you're not going to. He's the only weapon they have, and he ended up like crushing it, you know, and and having all these receptions. And that's what Brian Dable can do. He can make those guys open even when he's the only guy that you're supposed to be covering. And so I think that's got to be attractive, you know. I think that's going to be a really, uh, you know, it's going to be a good mix. Daniel Jones is obviously not Josh Allen. But he is another kind of big quarterback with some mobility. You could probably punish teams with his legs a little bit early on, and then create that sort of spread dynamic. And I don't know. I'm uh, pleasantly interested to see what uh, what he does there. I thought it was a good hire. Um, and if you're going to copy any organization right now, you know you should probably copy someone like the Bills.
4: Matt Eberflus to Chicago, uh, and we 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 like this one. We like what he'll do defensively. It's just interesting because it's kind of like okay, well. You brought in Matt Nagy to develop the quarterbacks. It didn't work out with Mitchell Trubisky, obviously too soon to make any sort of determination on Justin Fields. But, you know, it's always the the conversation. Do you want to bring in the offensive-minded head coach because you know that guy's there. No one's, no one's poaching him. Whereas, you know, Iverflus is going to bring in an offensive coordinator. Uh, if Justin Fields takes off next year, now you're probably going to lose that offense coordinator. Now you got to bring in another guy, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I don't necessarily mind that. I think you get a guy in there who's going to put in the program you want. And obviously, uh, Ibra what he does on the defensive side of the ball, that just kind of fits what the Bears want their identity to be. And I I think there's something to be said for that when you play in Chicago. uh, Maybe you don't go out there and plan on winning a lot of uh, 35-30 type of games.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I understand the offensive coordinator argument, but like look at the Titans, for example. Like if you have something that you believe in and you have a system and you're a good head coach, that's going to be like, hey, everyone needs to be in this meeting and understand how this stuff works. Mm -hmm. I don't see why you have to worry about it. If you have a system that's going to work for Justin Fields and that offensive coordinator moves on, uh, if you're a good head coach – Uh, And people like you, the quarterback's coach is going to stay and he's going to run the offense exactly the way that the offensive coordinator ran it and so on and so on. And so I I, I just think, you know, for me, that seems like kind of a classic um, argument that you might drum up if you were the agent of an offensive coordinator, uh, you know, or a quarterback's coach. But I I thought it was a great hire. I think Matt Eberflus was, again – colleague Andy Benoit now uh uh, possibly a member of the Super Bowl champion Rams wrote a lot about Matt Eberflus back in the day just how kind of how brilliant he was as a schematic mind and uh, how smart of a coach he was and uh you know I think other teams are kind of finally catching on to that I think he's going to be able to do more with less and uh like the Bills I think the Colts are another organization that even if they maybe necessarily haven't had that Super Bowl success I think they're set up really well I like what they're doing there and uh so I don't know I, I, I think it's all good I, I think it was a great hire.
4: uh Nathaniel Hackett to the Broncos that's the last one we'll get to on this show uh, because that's the last hire we've seen as we as we tape the show uh we are we are big Nathaniel Hackett fans I he is the he's the most misunderstood offensive assistant in the league. Coming up to this week because uh you know even like oh the Jaguars Jaguars aren't good well yeah Blake Bortles with the Jaguars and he had EJ Manuel with the Bills um and by the way he figured out a way to put up uh you know almost fifty points in Pittsburgh with Blake Bortles in a playoff game uh, he finds solutions he has worked in a variety of offenses uh I think you'd feel quite good if you're a Broncos fan whether you're getting I mean you feel feeling better if Aaron Rodgers is coming but even if Aaron Rodgers is not coming you probably feel really good that this guy is the best chance to get really good quarterback play out of whoever your quarterback is uh than you've had in there in a really long time
0: yeah I mean everywhere he's gone he's made it work uh we overlapped together at my alma mater at Syracuse and uh he produced the school's uh first drafted quarterback since Donovan McNabb. So, you know, that's an interesting little factoid. Ryan Nassib. Um, and uh, then to go on to the Kyle Orton Bills, design the Kyle Orton offense that ended mm-hmm. up... They were 9-7 and seven that first year when they were up there. Um, and then you went on to the A.J. Manuel thing, the crazy Doug Marone opt-out uh, uh, situation, and then, uh, you know, to go down to Jacksonville. And it was interesting. You know, it was uh, when I did the story, I was poking around... Uh, with some people that were in Jacksonville at the time of when Nathaniel Hackett was there, and they said that, like, when the Jaguars fired Nathaniel Hackett, that was the dumbest thing that they could have possibly done. Like, they needed a scapegoat, and they didn't know what to do, and so they just fired the offensive coordinator. Like, when that offense stalled with Blake Bortles, it was because, like, there was a directive. Like, you need to start, you know, everyone, like, from, like, it seemed like, from what I understood, like down on high, like we need to start throwing the football. This needs to be a laser show. And everyone's like, uh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's what you get when people meddle in the, uh, you know, when people meddle in the secret sauce. And, uh, so I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's gonna be good for him to be able to run his own show. I think he's super engaging and, uh, it'll be fun. That division is going to be a blast. Josh McDaniels, Nathaniel Hackett, Andy Reed, um, Brandon Staley. Like that is, uh, that's going to be a hotbed right there. That's going to be a that, hotbed of brain power.
4: That is. I mean, that's uh, that's going to be a lot of primetime games there, and uh, it's going to be worth watching. The MMQB NFL Podcast is Connor Orr and me, Gary Gramling. We are produced by Shelby Royson. SI's executive producer of podcast is Scott Brody, and our senior podcast producer is Dan Bloom. Mark Ravik is emeritus editor of the MMQB, and Andy Benoit is both an NFC champion and the founder of the MMQB NFL Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed on Apple Podcasts. And once you do, please leave a rating and review because it really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.
3: Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh?
2: A Redwood Forest would
1: be cool. Ski slopes!
3: Wait! Did we just invent California?
1: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools.